On this episode, we bring on Patrick Lalonde, who has been a longtime coach and mentor for Austin, a current business partner for Ammer, and who has a lot of experience in coaching new business owners. And he comes on and shares a wealth of knowledge about what it means to be a strategic coach, an honest coach, and somebody that can coach you in really all areas of your life. There's a lot of value to be had here, so we really hope you guys are able to enjoy this episode. Hey listeners, welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Call, the unscripted, unedited weekly conversation between Austin, John, and Amber. Thanks so much for being here with us today. Let's get started. Hey guys, uh, welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Call. Uh, here with us tonight, we got Patrick Lalones, who's uh, the Vice President with StudentWorks East and uh, serial, yeah, entre- serial Entrepreneur, and as he just mentioned, not a very good one. <laughs> so why don't you tell us, Pat, what you actually mean by that, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Austin. Um, it, partly that was a joke just given um <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I'm, just, I'm just you're tired I've, uh, <laughs> so, so, so I, I started a company in 2015 that was my my first i'd call it real launch like outside of having run a student works business and and obviously having been very successful with that um and the company did really well for from 2015 to 2017 we basically grew it from uh, like it was an online business and we basically grew this e-commerce company from zero to about 1.2 million in sales in 2017. Respectable um, for sure. Damn. Yeah, it did. It did really well. Like we made a lot of money in 2017. This is by the way, this is a product based business, not yeah, a service based business. Which for somebody like Pat, who like all of us, so we were all like operating service based businesses. So yeah. That, I, I think a product based business is just way harder to execute oh, yeah. on. Yeah, like talking oh, to people yeah. in Way China, hard. designs, manufacture this, like that little adjustment here, yeah. hidden fees yeah, you gotta, over there. You got to manage uh, inventory. Um, you got to manage manufacturing. You got to manage quality control. You got to manage returns. You got to manage shipping. You got to manage the logistics because you can't just sell something and then ship it out. What to were you some guys guy selling? Like, sorry? What were you guys selling? Um, so what we did is uh, it was two of my good friends from high school. They actually developed a product. It was a selfie stick with a 180 degree um, swivel on it. So basically, what you do is you'd hit a trigger on the on the grip, and the the camera that was on the tip of the selfie stick would flip 180 degrees. So it was mostly wow. a niche product for GoPro users. Oh, very niche and, actually. Yeah, it was, it was a really, it actually did really well. It actually still sells now on the internet and it does fairly well. Um, but the problem was that we didn't really anticipate that the selfie stick demand was going to go down so quickly and so sharply. So in the fourth quarter of 2017, um, we noticed that between 2016 and 2017, the, um, the search demands on Google for selfie sticks uh went down 97 percent why just people got tired of it was a it was a fad of sorts or something like like it trended up and then it trended down wow i imagine there was probably a certain aspect of uh also just your competitors willing to sell it at a very low price and very cheap quality versions of it uh we've we've literally only been knocked off once by oh really wow fascinating company 
Yeah. Yeah. Cause we were in a niche market, right? So we weren't selling something that you, you would just sell to the masses. We were really yeah. selling a product that was like specific to GoPro users. You had to really know the market to be able to sell effectively in it. Mm. And then basically we got squeezed pretty hard by the combination of Facebook ads became a lot more expensive over the, the, for between 2016 and 2018, Facebook ads got a lot more expensive. So the cost to put your ad in front of somebody's eyes was like the CPM is what they call it, got like almost doubled. Um, so that definitely played a part. And then the other big thing is, so we had been growing at a certain predictable rate for two years at that point. And we thought, you know what? Christmas is going to be wild this year based on all of our predictions based on last Christmas, the Christmas before, based on everything that's been going on. So we wanted to make sure we had gotten this big um, like manufacturing space in Ottawa. We, we were manufacturing in Canada, like we could control the quality, make sure every unit was really good. So, uh, so, so things were looking really good at this point. We're going, okay, you know what, we're going to need a big shipment. And then my business partners got an email from the guys, um, the, the, basically the guys who make the plastic parts saying that the, the raw materials were, were getting harder to acquire in China at this time. And so it might be harder to actually get the raw materials. So if we wanted to make sure we had everything we needed for Christmas, we would want to place a good order now. I don't know if it was a sales strategy or not, but that's what Make, they said. It actually makes sense, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so they, they shared that with us. They said, look, if you want your, your Christmas stuff to be ready, we're <laughs> unlikely to be able to yeah. get more of this plastic on time. So just let us know what you need for, for your Christmas order. So we're like, okay, these guys are right. We better plan for this Christmas thing. So we ordered, and I forget what it is now because it was a good two, three years ago, but it, it was basically in terms of finished product, it worked out that we were basically ordering $150,000 worth of finished so product. So needed to say you still have some in your, in your garage. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. so we placed this order in start of august or or middle of august like around august 13th or something like that in 2017 and i don't know if you guys remember uh september 2017 a huge hurricane oh, um yeah. ripped through all the southern countries including like through the u.s and florida and all this stuff what sure. was it and called what was the name of it you know, I don't remember. I mean, it was the it, <laughs> it was the hurricane that really fucked our shit up. Hurricane Har- <laughs> it was it was Hurricane Spivo. I think it was Harvey. A Hurricane Harvey. That, that's yeah. my prediction. Now, my what happened guess. is August 2017. Yeah. Boom. Overnight, um, our sales went from pretty good to zero. Like. So literal you were, so you were uh, over like you had a very good uh, consumer base in the southern US is that what happened like or was it just essentially it affected the economy of the US which was mainly your consumer base a lot of our buyers are people who are traveling soon okay yeah yeah so so with the big hurricane all the vacations got yeah, canceled all the resorts your, were shut down yeah your Actually, product was highly correlated with like travel excitement and travel anticipation well, John, were you on that Mexico trip where Studentworks West got like hit by that big hurricane? That was the year before I started. So I was uh, that was seven years ago. That was the that happened. Wow. 
Really? That was that long ago? West got hit by a hurricane in Mexico? Yeah, man. That sounds amazing. Apparently, this is like, so, you know, uh, Pat, you must know Corey. That's my district manager, Corey Bartram. Yeah. So Corey, Corey, I mean, Corey is a storyteller and a half, but some of the stories that he had, man, like, like apparently like you could throw a brick up in the air and it would fly (laughs) away. Like... (laughs) <laughs> that's not true at all not- no no dude no no dude there's videos though there's videos of this yeah, yeah. It, amir i can't tell no, you man it Amber, was there's videos crazy. wait so pat you like uh the studio used to take the same like same time of the year it's just different parts of the, the country that they go to yeah school? we just it, that so sorry i i was getting mixed up i thought maybe that was the same year but obviously not this uh, was at cabo santa fe yeah because this one hit the west coast Wow. Not the East Coast. We, yeah, so we the so hurricane is, I'm talking yeah. about hit the East Coast. Oh, okay, yeah, no, we were not, we were not there. Although, funny enough, uh, one of the district managers, her name's uh, Jessica. She actually was in the Bahamas at that time, and it was like a not a good time for her. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, so to make a long story short, all of a sudden we had zero sales, and then we we kind of like didn't know what was going on. Like we didn't really know what to do. Um, so what we would have needed to do that, that like literally that week was we would have needed to have like ceased all of our ad spend, laid off all of our employees and like shut down for like two months to just wait till everything reset and then go again. But we made the mistake of thinking, you know what, we're probably going to be okay. Let's just kind of like hold, keep, you know, like, let's just drop down where we can and we'll incrementally drop what we're spending drop what we're spending and then we'll we'll be good at christmas christmas always like goes super well we basically what happened though is we burnt through too much cash and we were actually making sales at at one point that were like in negative profit because we we had to spend more on ads than we could afford to and basically through like to make a very long story short, because there was a lot of factors at play, um, we burnt through too much cash too quick. And then we didn't have enough to like fully launch the sales platform. And that's also coincided with the fact that um, the search terms were like at an all time low, like, like I said, 97% yeah. dropped. And that, that Christmas, no one was buying selfie sticks. And what so did you learn from that? Those two things, plus the fact that we made a huge inventory order and got really cash poor, totally put us in a position where Dude, we weren't able to pivot quickly enough. My stomach would be upside down. I'd be vomiting everywhere if that happened to me. I'd be like, yeah, I, like I, I wouldn't know. I, I wouldn't know what to do with myself, man. I would be honestly yeah, over crazy. the course of those three months, we lost about three hundred thousand dollars. Oh man, that would be. Uh, well, that's a lot of. That's, that's a Lamborghini insane. right there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we know that, or you know that at least. Um, yeah, so, so, uh, so that's why I say I'm a serial entrepreneur, but I haven't been very good yeah, at. Yeah, and so. and and just like for some reference point here, like the reason why my introduction for Pat was a little bit of a roast was because Pat's actually been my personal coach for the past three years, and he's currently still my coach. And when I started out with student works as a guy that just actually used to paint houses for another person. Uh, you know, Pat actually was the first person that like taught me like literally everything I know in terms of how to handle clients, how to handle difficulties with expectation setting and recruiting. And I actually thought it would be quite hilarious, Pat, if you could, uh, because I think what's missing on this podcast is some reference point. <laughs> with mm. how how terrible 
we all used to be, but I know that you can yeah. offer yeah. some, I know that you can offer especially some prime insight into how bad of a salesperson I used to be. And I'm talking like, <laughs> like terrible, right? Like I would, I would yes, be ready Pat, to jump over the there. table at people. So this yeah. is like your mother showing you like your children's book. <laughs> Literally <family>. that's <laughs> Yeah. Do you, do you want me to tell the Noel story? Oh, go ahead. Noel James. That, that one's perfect. Yes. Noel. Um, like I, and I don't remember all the details, but basically I'm pretty sure Austin almost reached across the table to try to fight this guy. <laughs> and, and you had this guy who Wait, was what? like, what? Like, it's in a sale. It's in a sale. It's in an estimate. Yeah. We're talking, Austin's trying to do in his first sales, but He's taking it extremely personally that this guy's basically, he's in tech, okay? And he works from home and he's kind of a programmer or something like that. And you can tell he's one of those guys that's just absolutely one of the cheapest people you can meet. Like yeah, he just yeah, really yeah. wants to like penny pinch everything. And he's trying to yeah. get Austin to bring his price down. And so... Noel keeps talking about how like he wants to bring the price down. He wants to pay a certain amount. I think it was like $4,200 and Austin was charging 6,000 and you know, yeah. they're kind of going back and forth on it. And I could watch as the conversation was unfolding that <laughs> what Noel was saying is like very clearly just he, he was cheap and he only wanted to spend like 4,200 like it had nothing to do with Austin, the value of the job, any of that. He was just like, I just want to spend less money. And Austin was here. And I was like, essentially like, you you're not good enough. You mentioned that you're not me. worth it. Like you're a loser. <laughs> and he was getting very <laughs> offended through the whole process. And the whole time I'm just sitting there and I would just kind of wait and I go, I think what Austin's trying to say is, and I would paraphrase and honestly, it would be something completely different from what he said. Like, oh, he'd be man. like arguing with the guy about how like it would be stupid to do it for any less. And I'd just be like, I think what Austin's trying to say is that oh, you'd get God. a lot better value by doing the work properly. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, and then Noel would kind of look over and I ended up, we ended up closing the deal for about five grand. His wife ended up yelling at Noel and, uh, and we got it, we got it done. So yeah, his wife yeah. wasn't there. No, his okay. wife was there and she was like, no, I'm getting the checkbook. You just relax. Uh, but like, man. Wait, so he took the job from six grand so, to so, five grand? So no, 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 no. We, we ended yeah, up like on. coming. We we some work no, 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 no. We, ended up, we ended up essentially just doing, no, we actually sold them. No, no, Pat, it was like a huge disconnect. It was like their budget was like five and I was charging like, it was just very unrealistic for the scope of work was like more going to be like seven or eight. And then we ended up doing like around six worth of work. So we took like, oh, okay. made a, made a like, yeah. So it was like a compromise in the sense that we actually took some, some actual like parts of the job off the true discount. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The true discount. So, so like, uh, but, but what was even better was that this meeting was actually just a, was actually just a contract presentation. So it actually wasn't even an estimate. Like it was actually just us going over to present a contract. I had already done the estimate and it took us just to sit down at the table and present the contract two and a half hours. We Whoa. were sitting, we were sitting at the table for two and a half hours and we walked out of that house and Pat looks at me and went, I have a migraine. I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god and i was just like thanks pat <laughs> see you later thanks again did so uh, when you produced that job did that client bring you any trouble 
No, not at all. Wow. Yeah. That's Two and a half hours. Wow. Yeah. So anyway, like there's just a lot of stories about how I, when I was starting out, I was just so, I, I would say like maybe coachable, but very stubborn, right? Like I would, I would reach out for coaching, but I would reach out for coaching to almost like engage in a debate. Uh, <laughs> have you yeah. ever coached someone who's 18, 19 years old, specifically a male that think that doesn't think they know everything? Oh yeah. Cause I, like, I feel like Amher, Austin, and I, we all must've been the most stubborn motherfuckers. Like every yeah, one of us would have just been like the sure. biggest know-it-alls. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm pretty good at, I'm pretty good at like, our, I'm a know-it-all my, I'm a stubborn know-it-all myself. So I think it makes me good at dealing with stubborn know-it-alls. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause honestly, like I, I had some discussions with Austin um, to, and by discussions, I mean, we had some, some heated discussions or heated debates oh, about yeah, why his those. approach might not be the best and yes, sometimes yes. you could tell he was really he was kind of faking being coachable but the yes. thing is is like yes i i don't know I, when i've done this for this long it, it didn't even feel like uh, like like it unless you guys had pointed it out at the start that austin's kind of stubborn i would have just been like Oh no, Austin's really coachable, blah, blah, blah. I used blah. to actually like, think, totally Pat, bad. before you coached me, I used to actually think that I had like absolutely zero ego, but like I actually used to, <laughs> <laughs> oh, All right, I'm going to post that to, to our Instagram. <laughs> oh, that's a good Patrick. reaction. <laughs> yeah. So the reason for this is because I used to think like I was, you know, like pretty easygoing and pretty like reasonable to deal with. And then I remember you finding out like, I could kind of see that you had realized that this mechanism worked for me is every week you would look me in the eye and go, I bet you can't do this. And I'm like, and I'm like, what do you mean? You bet. I oh, that took a twist. This. Okay. And so I was like, and I'm like, well, what do you mean? And you're like, well, like, I just think it's really necessary for you to force yourself to do this because that's kind of what's just expected of you at this moment. And anything else would kind of be like, eh, and I remember one point you pushed it so far to say like, Hey, Austin, you need to bring in a, uh, a $35,000 payroll. This like a payroll is every two weeks. And this was in like my first year. He's like, you need to bring in $35,000 worth of work in two weeks. And that's just kind of what's expected of you at this point, man. And I was like, huh, I, okay, I can't not, I, I can't just fall under that expectation now. And I ended up doing like 29 and I didn't know that Pat was like, he knew that the record was 32. He like the, the all time record for a rookie payroll was 32. And he was just like, dude, anything under 35 sucks. <laughs> and like, but it got me to like get this close to the record. But if I know for a fact, if he would have told me, dude, the record's 32, like if you just would have done 29, like, you know, I, I wouldn't have done 29. Like, mm. So it's just like the way he figured out a way to coach me in a way that like played into my ego. And then I realized that I actually really care about that part of maintaining myself in terms of like being driven in a way that, I can't not meet somebody's like eh, expectations. So um, I just found that so, as a really, yeah. You, you wanted me to share at the start. You said, we're going to talk a little bit about coaching. Yes. And I might as well use this as an opportunity to talk <sighs> a little bit about coaching. Cause that's something that I realized fairly early on in coaching people is you have to adjust the standard based on the person that you're talking to. Because if I go into an, like, like I've got operators that I coach that are just like, I don't know, I'll, I'll call them like average people. Like they're not, they don't want to do great things. And like, 
they they're not there yet like they're capable of it but they're not at the level where they're going to be able to deliver that tomorrow right they've sure. got to build their habits and you know because yeah. i honestly genuinely think anybody can be great if they like put their work towards it but sure sometimes you got to start lower right so i've got some average people and i set a different bar but then every once in a while you get these top performers that come along and I actually picked up on this from my district manager when I was being coached. And I realized that it's just absolutely what you have to do is whenever you've got somebody that you know is going to be prepared to perform at that really high level, you have to get them to see that the bar is just higher for them. So you can't go into it and say like, Hey, Austin, the record's 32. You got to literally tell this person like, Hey, Austin, you need to do 35. And honestly, anything less than 35 is crap for you. Or, you know, hey, Amir, you've got to sell 20K a week. Honestly, anything less than 20K a week for you is a bad week. And you should be disappointed in yourself because you're not going to sell 500K if you're doing less than 20K in the next four weeks. So mm -hmm. anything that's less than that, you should be looking at yourself and going like, what the hell, man? Like, why wasn't I doing it? Mm -hmm. And mm. if you don't coach people that way, then... <laughs> They, how do you like, so how as, can they set their standard? Right. You know, cause that's what you do as a coach is you set their standard for what is good. Yeah. So I'm the only other person on this, on this call that, uh, is starting to coach people like John, you've been around for much longer than I have, but it's, you know, you've been running probably arguably one of the cleanest businesses that student works has ever seen. Amr, you're mo you've moved on to a, a consulting business and I'm actually now for the first time coaching people. And I find that I'm having trouble identifying who are those people that you hold accountable to that level? What do you look for? Like, what are, what are the actual... Yeah, what are some traits or maybe commonalities yeah. between... Like, well, uh, you've coached Austin. Uh, well, I mean, you have three top performers on this podcast, I suppose. I mean, Austin, Amber, and I. What are things that you think that all three of us maybe have in common that you would uh, identify as a coach? It's, it's one thing. You guys just do what you say you're going to do. Mm. It, it's really that simple hmm. if you do what you say you're gonna do like like you'll build skill sets over time yeah build that's so true man all the painters that like actually get their shit done and just it's yeah man like totally agree with that actually hmm. well here's a question yeah. if i said that i want to do 80k in business and then i do 80k in business how am i a top performer you're not but I said, I did what I said I would do. Yeah, but Amber, there's- Oh, a, yeah, but-, but it's, it's the, it's the, I think it's what Pat was saying, though. It's, it's the tiny things up to that. So like if someone says they're going to do 80K and they just half-assed their way to 80K, sure, they did what they said they're going to do. But I think it's like the mini things along the way. Yeah, because you can have an operator that's like a very, uh, like, like had to it's work like their ass off. Like oh, I think it cut out there for a sec. Uh, an operator that had to work their ass off to get to 80K and had to do everything they said they were going to do versus somebody that, may have been able to do 150 that kind of just got to 80. Well, so I guess so they would what have, are these, so does Pat, have a good point though. What are these little signs that you look for, for somebody who says they're going to shoot for 80,000 and then does 80,000 and be like, it, Oh, that's interesting. It's in all of our interactions, right? So it's, it's cause we do weekly meetings over a period of time. So it's not like I sit down with somebody and I know yeah, within yeah. 10 minutes, yeah. although you do get a pretty good feeling quickly, but honestly it's really hard to tell it's it's usually the second and the third weekend that you start to get a really good feeling for it because 
they've had enough time to go out and say, oh yeah, I'm going to go and do X, Y, Z in my schedule this week. And I'm going to get this done by this date. And the good people or really the great people will just have all those things done in the way that they said they were going to do it. I guess maybe and, it's the percentage as well that counts. So like if you if you, like if you say a hundred things and you do two of them, technically you could say you're someone who does what they say they're going to do, but you're only two percent compliant versus like ninety eight percent compliant. So the more compliant you are to do, someone who basically their word is the law, is and you could when they say something, you could write a check for what they said. That person I think would be a top performer versus someone who just simply has done a few things that they said, maybe the public things, but internally they may not be doing any of the things they say they're going to be doing yeah yeah i think cool. it, like if you always look at accountability and you look at their accountability in like a week by week basis over time with mm. their marketing sessions with their the way that they do their schoolwork, with the way that they get organized with the you know all those those details right it's when they do all the details right consistently over time mm -hmm. then you kind of know like okay <clears throat> this person like can, can really perform up here. I'm going to push them to that level. And mm -hmm. then the other thing is it's really not that hard. You kind of watch where someone's trending. Mm -hmm. And if they're trending, like if I've got an operator who's trending for a hundred, I'm going to push them to do 120. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this can and, be applied to like anything, right? Like athletics, like if you're coaching a sports team, if you're coaching an, in, an individual athlete, like it's, we're talking business, but this is so applicable to anything. Yeah. It's just give yeah. me 10% more. Yeah. Cause that 10% oh, yeah. more is easy. Mm -hmm. Pat, I, I have a question. This is something. So I've spent probably around nine to ten thousand dollars on self-development courses and out like external um, areas where I've actually had interactions with different coaches. And I have this hypothesis that I'd like you to help me with. And what I figured is I've had many different coaches throughout my life and mentors, and I've realized that I can only get so good with a specific mentor. Mm. So if I'm with a coach that has never made more than $70,000 a year, I've noticed that it becomes really hard for me to shoot to make $200,000 a year with that specific coach. Now, given that I have met some coaches who are perhaps got their students. So there's this one gentleman that I've met who is an MLM coach. And he has actually taken five different people and made them millionaires within their industry. However, he himself was never a millionaire. So that's a good coach. Like, that's very rare. I'm talking for the, the general amount of coaches. But is that, but is that a fallacy, though? Because, like, I mean, you look at, uh, like, people who coach a basketball team, there's no way they're going to be performing at the same level as, like, like, like uh, no, who's no. the guy so, who wrote, like, the I book? I think what, what Austin... Or I but, think what Amher's realizing though. So here's my question. Here's my question. Does the coach's own self-performance affect their ability to take their students to the next level? And when do you know that maybe you need a new coach? Because mm. you're only being limited by your coach. So there's, I'm going to answer that question in two parts because there's kind of two questions to it. So the first one is like, can a good coach coach you to be better than they could ever be? And yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And really what you have to look at there is, are they a good coach? 
So if I look at this and, and I'll use the district managers are, are a perfect example. I, yes. I went through this myself. Um, at first, like it took me, I, I set out when my, I became a district manager my first year in 2013. Just for I reference was, here, a district manager is like a, um, a person that coaches business owners on how to become proficient. So you're actually their mentor. This is just student works terminology, but it's their consultant, their coach. So yeah, continue. Yeah. So I was coaching business owners who, who basically I was coaching them in my first year, the exact same way that I would have coached people like that. I would have coached myself. I thought, you know what? Everyone needs what I need. And so I tried to coach everybody the way I need to be coached and it did not go very well. And then I started learning. So, so my goal was I want to coach people to be better than me. And it took a really long time to get one. Like it, it actually took, I think four years, if not five, like it, I think it was 20, I did 2013. Was it Dylan? was the first one. No, that you yeah. like- I did 12, 13, 14, 15. Yeah. So it took four years to get the first person to do better than me. And then since then, I don't think I've had a single year where I haven't had any, someone do better than me. Because once you figure out the formula to getting somebody to do better, then you can just do it over and over and over again. Yeah. And every time you can get people to do better than you. Because I was thinking about like, the steps and you've gotten to be really good at coaching. So yeah. like, that's why you have these basketball coaches that were maybe never that good of a basketball player themselves, but they can coach people to be the best basketball players in the world because they've been doing it for 20 years. They've got so much experience at it. That's really what it comes down to. So Basically, it's the it's quality of the coach. skill sets. There's, there's a skill set of being a coach and there's a skill set of being whatever it is the coach is coaching. A doer. So, but it sounds like the initial skill yeah. in that is being able to differentiate your own success from the success of others and understanding that the way you need to be coached is not the same way that anybody else needs to be coached. Like, well, uh, I guess in a sense, your uh, success as a coach is the success of your players, of your of your. Well, that's it. So this is actually what I wanted to ask. This is like my main question of what I wanted to ask Pat is, how do you ride the line between being an effective coach but not being like being a very effective and personable and like you're such a good coach because you're involved in their life and you're enrolled in the person's success and not being negative uh, not being personally attached to their outcomes. Oh, interesting. I could see that. Okay. Because like, so, so, you, do you know what I mean? Gonna be not, you're never going to be not personally attached to the outcome. Like, like when I see one of my operators win, yeah. that is like, no, that is yeah. A- so, let me rephrase so, this because I but, actually no, 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 I hold on. I, yeah. I know where you were going, but because okay. because what you were gonna say is like, but how do you not get discouraged when they fail? It's yeah. that you. It's just getting used to the fact that like there's attachment. Like you can be very attached, which means one one failure, you'll interpret that as like I'm a loser, right? And, and it goes back to this thing that you I and I know this because we coach. Like I've coached you for a while but it goes back to where you always take things very personally. So you, you don't, you recognize that if, if this person stumbles once you like, Oh, that's my failure. I'm a loser because this person stumbled. And so you're making it mean something that this person is struggling rather than just recognizing that that's part of their process and that they're just, they're stumbling because they need to stumble to keep going and to get better and to learn. Like if you don't do things wrong and screw up sometimes, there's no way that you're going to get better at stuff. So if you kind of flip the way that you look at it, 
Yeah. Then you become a lot more effective as a coach because when somebody has a bad week, you come at it not from the example of like I did something wrong, but rather from the the like point of view of okay, how can I help this person learn from this, not repeat these mistakes, and then keep doing better next week. Yeah. I suppose it's it's probably like the ultimate test of like focusing on what you can control and being indifferent to what you cannot control. Because essentially as a coach, all you can control is your response and your reaction and the input that you give to your franchisee or your player. But you can't really control any of the outcome. And so you almost have to learn to be indifferent to it and just constantly be that, oh, man, that, that's a pretty fascinating relationship, really. Because mm-hmm. I've only I've only ever been on the uh on the uh yeah john like i remember i remember us having this conversation i think it was in maybe october last year and i was telling you that i had uh, signed a contract to become a district manager and coach new business owners and and you were like man like i I just don't think that because you're used to the income structure of being a sole business owner and it's very obviously you know you know that you can perform and, and you're putting your eggs in that basket and i don't think you should stop doing that but i actually think that right out of the gate the with all like with the amount of stoic philosophy that you read and the, the strong mindset that you have, that it would be very interesting, at least from, I think mine and Amir's perspective and yours to see how that gets challenged in that position. Cause I feel like yeah. it's so hard not to try to, it's so hard in that setting, not to get upset about things that you can't control. Yeah. I think that being a franchisee delivers enough of that. Uh, yeah. Sort of <laughs> testing. Yeah, I'm quite yeah. content with it. Yeah. Uh, from, from the finances side, I mean, of course, there's, there, you know, that that's you know a huge indication. I mean, the fact that I, I do view it as two skill sets, and I've always viewed it as two different things, right? I, I don't think that success as a franchisee necessarily translates to success as a anything really. I mean, there's things that make you successful, and if it's if your success is built on great habits, then I would say that it's most likely transferable to other things. But if your success was merely built through just um, through grit and hard work, I'm not sure how transferable that would be. And so the fact that I view uh, district managing as simply a separate skill set, I would be fearful in embarking on that um, in not being an outlier like I am in franchising. Like I think it'd be almost uh, arrogant of me and cocky to think that I would be as much of an outlier in a district manager world as I am in the franchisee world. I, I think you're cutting yourself a little bit short there, John, because I think it's one of those things that you just don't you like, I guess, you know, when, uh, when, when Tiger Woods changed his swing, he got worse. Yeah. His back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Like, like he got really bad at, at, at golf for a while and then he got a lot better. Yes. Oh, it's, it's exactly like that, right? What you're kind of pointing to is a, a, a fear of a certain amount of growth. Because right now, you've kind of, you're at a plateau. You're only going to be so much better as a franchisee. Well, we'll see, because I am going for most improved this year. So <laughs> Nice. I like that. Um, but, uh, and, and maybe you will, right? But the same skill set that you're going to need to go to most improved is, is the skill set that you would use to become a great district manager, which is building people like it's it's creating growth in people right so it's a it's real empowerment where you're gonna you're not gonna be the one doing all the sales you're not gonna be the one you know managing all the job sites and calling all the painters because you literally couldn't do that and have your business double. yeah it's fascinating um there's a, there's a district manager he's actually the second vp now so we have two vps in in the west here we have jordan, um, jordan and we have Corey. 
and Jordan's Jordan, awesome. Yeah, they're. I mean, they're both. They're both brilliant, really, in their yeah. own, in, in their own unique ways. But but Jordan uh, had said something to me that I was like, oh, I'd never thought about that way, and it's that uh, district managers technically just run a larger painting business, like in the same way that like yep. I run half a million dollar painting business. Jordan ran a three point nine million dollar painting business, and I was like, oh. Yeah. Like I never really, th- I never had really put it in that way. Like I'd always kind of just viewed them as like a, like they had their own separate little thing, but they really do just run a larger painting business. John, now, funny the, enough, the uh, economics of it don't quite work out that way. So no, it, it, uh, yeah. that's actually like the economics of it do work that way. You're basically saying I'm going to take a much smaller percentage, like of the, of the, the profit that's being made. Right but I'm going to take it on a much greater number of people and I'm going to empower each of those people to put in the work and the hours that's necessary to go and generate each of their own businesses. And then I'll just end up with a small piece of each of their business. So it, it is like, if you went out and you wanted to go and grow, like, I don't know, let's say you started like any other business outside of a franchise. And then all of a sudden you wanted to grow that business you would use the skill sets that a district manager uses to grow their business in order to grow yours. Yeah, correct. I mean, I, I have yet to see, I mean, obviously my profit margin has, uh, de- the percentage has decreased. Obviously my income has increased, but the, the percentage has decreased as I've grown my business more or less just because it costs more to run a larger business, more delegation, all the things that you guys would know about. And I, I would, I would, I'd be challenged. Uh, I, I, I don't think that if I ran a $3.9 million business as a franchisee that I would make as much as a district manager. I think I would make significantly more. And so that's. Oh, you would. Question. Yeah. Yeah. You would. It's because you're forgetting that the district manager has a business partner. That's also making some money in this. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. His yeah. partner is. Yeah. The, the, well, that was the, the other thing. Too, is that Jordan then, you know, mentioned the CEO. I won't say his name because I don't think he really wants me to talk about him, but basically the CEO, uh, you know, he, he runs, a $13 million business, right? Yeah. That's crazy, right? He runs a $13 million painting business, right? CEO of CertaPro, $300 million painting business. Yeah. yeah. And, but, and the roles though, what you, what you do as a, that's the coolest thing is what you do as a district manager ends up being exactly what you need to do to grow any other business successfully. So I take the skill sets that I developed as a coach and I still use them today to coach our, our guys over at Spivo who are running, by the way, that, that business is still going. We just have never been able to quite go back up to doing seven figure revenue. But it's still a good so, business, all things considering now. It, it basically, it would does enough to pay the guys full time who work in it. Like, so they get a salary to work in it full time, but it, we're not like, we don't have a good EBIT or anything like that right now. So oh, okay. That's what we're working towards is to actually rebuild. Now we've pivoted the business and we're going for a new angle now. So hopefully, you know, next time I'm on this podcast in, in a year or something, yes, most um, improved. I'll be able to tell most you guys improved, about yes. the, yeah, You're I'll be able to tell you guys about how Spivo's oh, yeah, blown up. We always have that annual awards, most improved guest. <laughs> yeah, man. No. And, and that's Ooh, why like, so, it, it's so cool that, uh, between you and the two other co-owners uh, or co-founders of of that company, like had the wherewithal to actually manage the 
um, the, the essentially what sounds like kind of like the emergency fund to keep it viable because you knew that you wanted to be prepared for a resurgence at some point, right? Because I'm sure there were there were fundamental decisions that were made there that allowed for that resurgence to be a possibility. Yeah. You know, like it was managing that. Yeah. So this is what kind of happened in my head. I knew I wanted to be a serial entrepreneur, and I saw Pat, and he's been coaching people for a decade. Oh, that's and right. Okay, yes. And I've been saying to myself, if I want to go out to the business world, I have to first run a very big painting business where I'm delegating a lot on the inside. And so that's why I set a big goal. After achieving that, I was ready to go and start up my own business. And I had this idea around helping other contractors optimize their business. And I basically said, that's really coaching. Well, who's the best coach that I know? I go. Uh, there's this guy who's been literally just coaching business owners in the trade contracting area for the past 10 years. So it'd be very arrogant of me to think that I can go out here with only two years of experience under my belt and, and go out. And then I, I approached Pat and I said, hey, I had this idea. And then he looked at me. He's like, wait, I've also had this idea. So we sat together on uh, uh, first on July 14th and then the second time on August 18th or 19th. And we basically said, here's the plan. Here's how we're going to do it. And that's what I'm building right now. So Pat is actually my business partner. And um, the unveiling has occurred. This is the unveiling. Yeah. So I, am, I, I basically have a well of knowledge that I can tap into and Patrick gets to fulfill his dream of, of running different businesses. So it's a pretty good deal. Like a, um, like a board member, sort of speak. Yeah. So obviously, uh, you know. Um, My issue is always time. I literally, exactly. like, I always have more projects that I want to do and more ideas. And I realized this was actually a big realization for me this fall and, and partially this summer as well, um, is I can't just do all the work all the time. That's my problem. I, I know it sounds like, obvious no shit pat you've been coaching people for 10 years to leverage and delegate but yet in you know that's the thing about being a coach it's a lot easier to oh, see yeah. other people's problems than it is to see your own so literally the last year of my life has been fully put towards getting other people to take over in key areas but to actually develop those people in a leadership role where they're doing a better job than i could do in each of the different areas where I was trying to do everything myself. So before having that conversation with Amir, I started actually working on a course and working on building everything for contractors and then just eventually ran out of time and steam. And it was like, oh yeah, I'll do that, I'll do that. And I would work on it every time I had time, which was almost never. Right. And then I also, on, on the other hand, you know, had a bunch of other projects I wanted to do that I could never get around to at Student Works. And so all year, I built out basically, uh, I started building what, what we call DM projects calls. So for every district manager in the company, rather than me trying to make all the improvements to all the systems, I basically said, there's no way that I can replicate the input of the 14 smart people on my team here. So I gave them the choice, choose whatever project you want to work on, and we'll work on it a couple hours a week here and there when we have time around our, our regular jobs and our regular work, and we'll all work towards improving the systems. But 
if I actually lead it and organize it, we can make this work really well. So then all of a sudden, okay, there's, there's a big chunk of improvements that are happening that I used to do alone that I've now got a bunch of people enrolled in. And then, you know, I ended up having this opportunity to work with Amir. And I said, Hey, here's a guy who's works crazy hard, has a very high level of integrity, you know, is, is a great gifted salesperson. I know that he's super smart because I saw the way he set up and ran his business. So I know he's a, he's a good business partner. Let's go and work on this project with him. And then I even got this, an opportunity in January to, um, to basically leverage the network of people that I know from student works to go and develop a professional franchise. And, and through like, like with very little actual, like, I don't have to go and develop a professional franchise. Cause again, we all know, I don't have the, the hours, the time for that, but this person did. So, so I went and enrolled a business partner around that. And all of a sudden I'm seeing so many more possibilities than what I was seeing before, where I was like, I just got to do the work. I just got to do everything myself. Got to, got to manage it all. Got to do it all. It, so it's, this is where you kind of get to make a big quantum leap in what you're able to achieve. Yeah. And, and the reason I bring this up is because there's people listening to this podcast who've always wanted to start a business and feel like they're missing a key component. And I'm telling you guys, there's other people like Pat that exist where time is their biggest issue, but they have a wealth of knowledge. So you, if you can build a, a real resume of like, okay, here's what I did and kind of get your uh, reputation and, and your trust up, you can approach these people and say, hey, look, here's this business plan. Here's what I'm missing. Here's what you'll fit in. Here's the percentage you'll take. Here's how much money we're projecting. Here's how much I'll work. Would you like in? And there's just countless opportunities. And that's why you see the most successful people, well, the most successful businesses have like the most, you know, quote unquote, partners or stockholders or mm-hmm. shareholders, right? Because there's a lot of input and you can allow to delegate even more and more. So if you think like Apple, which is worth like what, a trillion dollars or something ridiculous? Market cap is tri- a trillion. Yeah, market cap is a trillion. I mean, to take John's example of like, you have the CEO who runs a a $13 million business. And then within that, there's one guy who does 4 million. Well, imagine Apple, you're doing a trillion. There's a guy managing, you know, there's like maybe 17 people managing 17 trillion down to 70 billion. And then you kind of keep going lower yeah, and lower. Yeah, there's the iPhone guy. There's or the, the iPhone eight guy. The iPhone, iPhone, the marketer, guy. the risk manager, the health and safety, the guy who manages the employees in China. Like it just keeps going on and on, and that all comes from delegation and coaching. So yeah, and and once you do a really good job, like what you know Steve Jobs did, you get to bring on the best of the best on your board, like yeah. Warren Buffett who like has a, I think one of the biggest stakes in Apple, he's like he does. four or 6%, like some large. No, 30%. No, 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 no. He has, I think he has no. 30 billion or I think he has $45 billion. In 30% of his portfolio. Oh, oh sure. Okay. I think, I think that he, I think he was just reading. I, I just read his book. Like, so it's, it's like fresh in my memory. He has $45 billion invested in, in the company or something. 45 so that, billion. Yeah. Crazy, crazy. I think it's about roughly 6% of the company's outstanding stock is in his name. Cause, cause the thing is, is the stock market swung around so much lately 
um, that I, I, I don't think their market cap is still over a trillion because they lost a lot of market cap. Yeah, I don't know. The point is, we're talking about 13 million here. <laughs> we're talking about doing 1.2 million with Spivel, 13 million in Steamworks West. These are baby numbers. Like the, the things that you can achieve in business is just so fascinating. And it, and it just comes down to your ability to delegate and coach. And that's a limitless skill set. And that's why we've chosen to get Pat here because I don't know anybody else in my network who's, you know, at that level of coaching. So, um, Pat, this one, I, I have a question for you. So, so you coach other individuals, right? And I, well, I think all of us sort of coach someone in our lives. So, you know, we all have people that maybe look up to us or we look up to other people, right? Yeah. And, but ultimately all of us have to sort of coach ourselves. We all have to manage ourselves, right? So, I mean, no matter like, you know, even Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple still needs to manage himself, right? And I have to ask, has it helped that being a coach, like, cause I still just can't like, I mean, I, you know, I think we all, you know, as we get more and more successful, we all learn to manage ourselves better, but has the fact that you're a coach made it easier for you to just identify all the bullshit you tell yourself? Cause I know how, cause you were saying earlier, how easy it is to identify bullshit in other people. Ha have you been able to like coach yourself effectively? So, so there's certain, certain areas. Yes. You know, okay. uh, coaching myself through stressful times, um, you know, so, so certain things like that, like, yes, a hundred percent, but I have to say that it doesn't matter how good a coach you are. There's no replacement for having a coach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, like yeah. you need a coach because, and I, and I think the most important thing to take away is that Pat has a coach. Like, right. Yeah. And the whole problem, <laughs> the coaches guys, have coaches who have coaches. Who's the big one? Tony <laughs> Robbins. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Hey, dude, yeah. he charges a hundred thousand dollars an hour. It's absurd. who's Tony Robbins coach. That's the real question here. No one. Go ahead. Uh, well, I'm sure. I'm sure he had a lot of coaches along yeah. the way. But like, yeah. here's the problem, by the way, with why you can't coach yourself. The thing is, so when you have a coach, the coach is basically coaching you to not let your brain trick you out of doing the stuff that that you need to do. Right. So like I've got certain things that I need to do, but I'm also fighting against my, my brain or my programming to a certain extent, like the way I, I think I should do things like inherently the, the stuff that's already there basically, but you can't like coach yourself when the stuff that's already there is in your own head because it gets in the way. That's why you can't see your own bullshit or it's so hard to call yourself out on your own crap is because like the, the programming that you're fighting against is the voice that's in your own head talking to you and telling you to do dumb shit. That's not the thing that you should be doing or that's telling you that it's okay to take a break or that's telling you that maybe running a marathon in two weeks was, was a foolish endeavor. It's that voice and you, you can't talk to that voice because it's always there drowning you out over time and it'll win but if when you have somebody else from the outside that doesn't have to listen to that voice all day they can just go cut the crap and go do it can I and just, then you're like oh you're you? right I, that's what i need to do and then boom you can take action way more easily that's why you can't coach yourself i'd love to just interject here just because i i just read warren buffett's book and we were just talking about him and i have to just mention this because it's so you know of course warren buffett's been known as a very rational investor someone who doesn't go with the crowd, right? And uh, there's this quote in the book where he's talking about how uh, he was asked about, you know, why he doesn't live in uh, New York, you know, where Wall Street is, like all the other oh, investors, why he wants to, I know. you know, Yama. 
or uh, Omaha, my bad, and uh, Omaha, Nebraska. And he said, well, if I was living in New York, I'd only be able to see the trees. But in Omaha, I can see the forest. And I just remember thinking, oh, yeah. 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 The, the other version of this that I heard that's like more simplified is that if you're in New York, you're kind of in the middle of like rumors and what ifs and opinions and just not a lot of facts. Whereas if you're located outside of such a city, the only things that reach you are facts. The, tr- the trees versus the forest. Yeah. The truth. Yeah. And, 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 and trees you're in able. York, forest in Omaha. Yeah. So it, it's pretty cool. And it's the same reason you can't coach yourself because all you see is the trees when you coach yourself. Yeah. yeah. So here, here's yeah. the funny thing. Uh, David Goggins, so I, I think everybody here knows who he is. Mm-hmm. One of the things that he talked about that I was hyper aware when I was going on my run is listening for that voice and then not listening to it. So while I was, while I'll be running, it's like, okay, great. This is definitely a new record. Let's walk here for a bit. And then I would kind of zoom out out of my own head and be like, whoa, like this is, this is not me. Like that's telling me to stop. It's this voice. I'm going to keep running. And the moment you kind of break what your brain tells you to do, it's like, it has no, no chance. And he's telling about the story where he's running the hundred mile. And the voice in his head was like, take a break, take a break, take a break. And he's done it so many years of just not listening to that voice that eventually the voice stopped. So Amr, I can totally attest to this. So me being an avid runner, when I first started running and I imagine Amr and Austin, Pat, I don't know if you know, but we're doing this challenge where we're all running 5k day and and, and we're all going to attempt to run a marathon although we've sort of since recited on that a little bit but that, that was the joke two seconds ago <laughs> yeah well yeah. so basically uh you know when i was running when i ran my marathon you know i was not equipped to, to handle this but now when i run it's i i think of it sort of like as a spam filter so i've been able to access at least while running i've been able to change the settings of my voice and and activate that spam filter so that when I'm running, that voice just gets put right into the spam filter. And then when I finish running, I'm like, okay, what now, now I can go check the, the spam folder and see what, what was actually said, but I can get through that. Right. But I'd love to have that ability in business. Like right, right now, for example, this whole COVID-19 thing, you know, you know, it's, um, it's tough to not let that voice play a little bit in my head. I mean, as a coach, what do you think of this? So I, uh, you know, I was performing at, I think possibly the highest level anyone's performed at in student works. I mean, I booked $250,000 by, I mean, by March 20th or something like that. I was booking just under $4,000 a day, seven days a week kind of thing, like on average. And all of a sudden, bam, it just stops. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, like, fuck, like, this is like, this is not out of my, this is completely out of my control. But then my brain starts going like, well, yeah, but you know, you could be doing better. Like, what else can you be doing? And, you know, you start getting in your head about how you're underperforming, but then you're thinking to yourself, well, can I, I mean, is there anything I can do? And it, you get into this vicious cycle of, of self-doubt and then thinking, well, when I do come back, what's going to happen, right? So what would you say to a franchisee? Because I imagine I'm not the only one that's sort of uh, getting into this vicious cycle. Yeah. So um, I, I talked a little bit about this. I'm glad you asked because I talked a little bit about this um, at our production training last week, we had some operators that asked me in our vet room, they asked like, how do you manage your stress? And it's really the same exact thing. Um, the, the best way to deal with 
the voice in your head when it comes to a situation like this, where there's just so much unknown ahead is to literally just not think about the future. And, and I know that sounds crazy, but what I mean is not, not think about it, like not plan. I mean, just don't try to imagine what it's going to look like. Like just stop. Yeah. Like, like stop looking at, you know, the good scenarios and the bad scenarios and imagining how it could be good and imagining because you're likely going to be wrong and and imagining all the different possibilities because the reality is you just don't know. So I, I start to ask myself one question, which is when stuff like this goes down, we had the Spivo thing was the, the, the first one that really trained me in this. Oh, interesting. But then I realized I did it again last year when, when we got hit, with uh with some big like unexpected stuff in our recruiting oh yes totally yes. messed everything up like our recruiting numbers went down 80 percent it like basically like shit hit the fan and it looked like we were gonna have one of our worst years ever and then same thing with this year with COVID-19 it's so easy to feel the same way it's like I don't know what's gonna happen there's this event it's out of my control so literally you just stop thinking about all the stuff you could be thinking about and you just go, what is the best thing I could possibly do right now? And then you just start trying to do stuff and that's it. Like there's, there's no other trick to it. There's no magic formula. You just go, okay, what can I do right now to have the best, give myself the best possible chance? the best possible chance tomorrow or and then and next week yeah or yeah. or right now right like like so so in our case it was like okay what's the thing that we can do that's going to give us the best possible chance of having a great year we can recruit we'll have the easiest time having the best recruiting season we'll ever have we can go and do virtual estimates it's not going to go that well we're not going to book $4000 a week but we'll see what we can book and we'll see what we learn and we'll see how much better it gets And then we literally just start to do that, right? And rather than looking at it from the lens of three weeks ago, I was booking $4,000 a day. You look at the lens of yesterday, I had zero sales. Today, I got a pending. Tomorrow, I might get a sale. And you keep working towards that. And then, hey, you get your first sale and you go, yesterday, I had $0. Today, I have a sale. This is getting better. And then you literally Uh, keep working on it from there. One thing I'll... Yeah, all of the attachment you had to the results you were getting three weeks ago when things were different, because right now is not three weeks ago. One thing I'll actually say to kind of help this go full circle is we were talking earlier about how if you're a coach, does it make it easier to coach yourself? And Pat, your answer was no. And I completely agree with like in your personal life, how some things don't transfer, even though you're able to see it for other people. However, I will say, John, that the fact that like what Pat just said is what I'm coaching my team to do. It then just becomes harder for me not to have to act the same in my own business. Right. So there's few people like there's like a role, uh, like a, I guess like a less popular role where you don't coach as many people, but you also still manage your own business, which is what I'm doing. So I don't have like a full team. So I have like the, I guess the privilege of really doing both. So I get to actually, try to hold myself accountable to the level of coaching that I'm giving other people. Because if you don't, you pretty much feel like a coward. Uh, And so if I call Pat saying like, Pat, I'll be honest, like how many, 
like I, I would like to say that the calls that I've made or the absence of calls in your direction this year in terms of just innately negative results looking for to find some silver lining in my situation where we'd usually talk about in years past about how hey Austin how is this happening for you because I'm having to actually have those conversations with other people about their own business it becomes just a little bit easier for me to kind of try to highlight the bullshit that I'm convincing in my own mind because our situations are so relatable so John I would say that if you were coaching a group of three to ten people who like you would say such similar things, even on their own level, not $4,000 a day, maybe $4,000 a week or every two weeks, they're going to have the same, the same impact. And so you wouldn't have a choice, John, because you're smart enough and you've done this for so long and you know what it takes to operate at such a high level. You would, I truly believe, say exactly what Pat just said. If you were in that role, I, I that's what I think. If, if, anybody in the world is considering having their own business and they have the opportunity to coach it like like uh what we call it student works the mini district manager role where you have like three to five people that you're coaching and then you also have your own business you will never run as good of a business as until you coach it because once you coach it it's like you cannot get away with crap like I was never as good a salesperson as I was when I became a district manager and started teaching sales because I never <laughs> yeah. thought about the steps that clearly. Oh my God. There's this thing where when you go into an estimate and you don't book it for yourself, it sucks, but it's okay. If you go into an estimate with some kid who just learned how to market and talk and market himself and communicate in a way that led him to get a lead and then that person called to, to book the estimate and she got the estimate done and then you go in and your your job is to book it for them and you can't close it that's the worst feeling in the world right like that that has to like like in terms of the experience i've had in business so far it's when you can't deliver for the person that's worked so hard for themselves right that's that's what i that's how kind of i saw like john i I would want to know your intake on that like where are you on that because if you and John, if you ever get the opportunity to be a mini district manager in your role, you will learn so much. It will shock you. So I would really highly encourage you to do that at some point, maybe next year, something like that. Just go teach three or four people how to do it. It'll blow your mind how much better you run your business after you do that. Yeah, no, I would imagine so. Yeah, I'd imagine so. Well, yeah, I, I uh, one of my favorite things to do is when I read a book, I always like to kind of teach my girlfriend per se on, on what I read in that book it always yeah. helps me uh, kind of understand the knowledge, even though like I was trying to tell her about this Warren Buffett book and she, <laughs> she wasn't really too interested, <laughs> but, uh, but I got the picture on it though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, you know, like I know I realized this when I was taking an accounting class in, in university and I, some girl like sitting beside me had no idea what was going on. So she asked me if I could like take an hour to teach her. And I did because I was just being a nice guy. And, you know, at the time she was kind of cute. So I was like, oh, this yeah, will be I was just about to. Let's cut the shit here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I'm like, okay, you know, this will be fine. I'll, I'll take an hour. I'll show her how it's done. I didn't have to study for the exam after I, I studied with her. It, it cut my study time down by three. Because once yeah, I taught I- it to her, I just knew everything. 
Yeah. yeah. I took the same approach in university as well. I was always offering help. I knew that it would help me. Yeah. Pat, we always ask everybody that comes on this podcast uh, to kind of give them the chance to describe what they think the strongest mindset is made up of. It could be one thing. It could be 13 things. It's just like if you were to kind of get to shop for certain values and, and, and ways of thinking to build the strongest mindset, what, what would you choose? So right now I'm really in this, like, I'm, I'm steeping in the conversation that we're having. Mm-hmm. And I think that just being able to look at right now mm. is one of the most important things because we get so easily attached to the results I got last week, what I was expecting to do this year, my goal, my this, my that, the way it was supposed to look in my head, rather mm. than just looking at what you can make possible. Mm-hmm. And I think mm. every strong mindset, no matter what it is, right? And you can kind of call it like flexibility, or you can call it like, you know, not being attached, or you could call it so many different things, but it's literally, it just comes down to this ability to just only focus on what's right now in front of me that, that I can do and just get letting go of everything else. I think the best mindset has very little in it other than just like, what can I do right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Stoics talk a lot about this and, and the analogy they use is uh, that of an archer and that, you know, all an archer can do is line up their shot, pull, you know, pull the, the string back and let it go, right? Once it's in the air, it, they can't really control anything. It's flying. And whether they hit their mark or not, they can bitch and complain about it. It ain't going to change anything. All they can do is line up their next shot, pull the string back, let it go and repeat, Right. And so you're always in that moment of, uh, well, right now, I mean, we're sharing a moment as we're all talking, right? All we can do in any given moment is just pull that string back, let it go and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that, uh, thanks. Thanks for sharing. Hold that, on. Pat. I actually want to ask Pat one question as well. I, I, I'm not normally on these interviews, but if, but if there was like a question that I would ask every time, this would be it. Okay. And, uh, this is totally because I read that Warren Buffett book, but Pat, if you had to sell me a 10% share of your future net worth when you're 60 years old. Okay. But in, in today's dollars, what would that number be? If I was to buy 10% of all your future earnings, what would that number be? How much would I, how much could I buy 10% of your net worth, your stock? Let's say. I'd never sell you that. (laughs) (laughs) It's not for sale. It's not for sale. There's no IPO. Yeah. There's no IPO. Give me, (laughs) That's by the way, that's how I'd start the negotiation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's six months. See, I'd, I'd make you ask at least three times before we, uh, before I told you I like the real it. number. I like it. Yeah. Um, thanks for joining us, man. All my future earnings. I'd, I'd honestly, if I was going to, um, give you that answer, like right now, um, that's a tough one because ten like I'd have to do a little bit of math, but I would right? imagine yeah. I would imagine now are we talking earnings after or before tax? <laughs> That's such a business guy, if I can think. Basically, like imagine you're a company, okay? Like just you as an individual. Yeah. Yeah, and I wanted to buy 10% of your stock right now. How much would you be selling that stock for? But it doesn't even have to, Pat, like, this is what the question is. It doesn't even have to be worth the amount of money that you make. It's essentially worth in terms of the amount of value that you can bring to people in the future. Yeah, if I was to buy 10% of you. I would actually, yeah, it doesn't. I I have an answer for me, but yeah. I mean, 
like the the thing is because so so i you you are talking to a finance guy so the first thing i'm wondering is with the time value of money how much money could you give me right now that would make it so that i think that my earnings would increase by a significant enough amount that i could make up the 10 percent that i'm giving you that's yep. like that's the math that's happening in my head and i'd have to think like it would have to be at least 10 million dollars yeah like yeah yeah um to to for me to start to consider it but again like it might be closer to like 20 or 30 like it's definitely in that range um is is what i'm thinking just like as you say that i'm going like probably somewhere around between 10 and 30 million because i think i could do enough with with 10 to 30 million that i could make it like I could make worthy more. of selling the 10. Yeah, exactly. I could do only operating at a 0.9 right for the rest. Yeah. That it would be worth me giving you money when I'm 60 because I would have made so much of that money using the 10 million you gave me right now. Yeah. That's yeah. how you'd have to look at it because there's no way for you to actually develop like a, any sort of market capitalization on you. It's, it's essentially how much would that be worth to you now in the next 50 years? Well, and, and you got to realize you to be able to give up the advantage in business to having a lot of money. Like, you know, people underestimate the importance that yeah, like cash on hand go into something and you got $10 million, you can buy a pretty profitable and very interesting business and then leverage that business to make a hundred million dollars and so on and so forth. There's a snowball effect, right? So <laughs> the, the quicker you can get the book, up there, by the, way. the better. The, the book I read is called Buffett, but the other book about Warren Buffett is called The Snowball. So that's funny that Damn. you uh, use that terminology. Damn. So. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, thanks so much for coming on, Pat. Like, why don't you just leave our listeners with uh, some places they can find you online if they wanted to either connect with you or find out more about you, or even if they could find out any sort of content that you have about you and what you're up to. Yeah. Um, thanks. That's actually a great idea. I've got an Instagram handle. Um, it's at Pat got insta um it started off as a, as an inside joke because i didn't want to get instagram because i didn't want something that was going to waste more of my time um on my phone so i i resisted getting instagram for a really long oh, time on, yeah it was finally and i'll tell you guys a funny story here the reason i got instagram was actually because um last year i had met this girl yep. I was, like I was single. Yeah, I met this girl. She was like in Iceland. She was super far away. So I was, <laughs> was never going to see her, but she, she wanted me to get an Instagram account so we could chat there more easily. And I was like, okay, fine. Okay. I guess that's, that's a good enough. Instagram account. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And then, so Pat if, got if Insta. anybody wants to check out at Pat got Insta and then the other places you can find me, I've actually got a, a Facebook page that I use for advertising purposes, uh, Patrick Lalone. So they can actually find me on that, either that fan page or find me on Facebook. Austin will put that in the Easy description of the episode. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, man. It means a lot. Pat, yeah, appreciate it, man. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. This sure. was really fun guys. Talk to you later. Yeah. Have a good night. Cheers. Hey listeners, thanks so much for tuning in this week. As usual, you can find us on Instagram at the weekly call pod or through email at the weekly call pod at gmail.com for any questions or comments about any of our material and just to kind of pick our brain or even challenge us on a few things we said today. The intro and outro music was brought to you today by William Scott Thompson. 
You can find him on Spotify under that name. He has a lot of other great material on there that you can go listen to as well. Thanks so much for tuning in this week, guys. We'll see you soon.